Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, head to isuencounter.org or download our student app to learn about all that's happening here. Thanks for listening. Amen. Thank you very much, musicians. That was great. Good evening. Yeah, good evening. Welcome. Uh, great to be here tonight with you at Encounter. My name is Dave. Uh, I am from Washington, Illinois, just down the road from here. Uh, yeah, woo! As you can probably tell from my accent, Washington, Illinois. Um, I'm the pastor of a church there called Connect Church. And um, before I get to what I want to talk about, I just want to say, if you are new here and you're kind of on the fence about this fall retreat, you're like, ah, I'm not sure if I really want to go to that. Listen, I got to go last year. It was absolutely incredible. It was fantastic. Um, the speaker was average mediocre, but the event itself, the event itself was incredible. I've never eaten so much steak and lobster. I couldn't believe the king-size beds in every single room. Honestly, you guys, you need to get there. It's an incredible event, Um, but really, Casey, my wife and I, we both got to be there last year, and we had such a, such a fun time, and seeing all you guys interact with one another and make new friends and stay up late at night around campfires, telling stories. It was just a really, really good event, so uh, sign up. It's a great thing to go to. Now, I, uh, I know that there's uh, uh, mixed ages here. We've got some freshmen. We've got some sophomores, some juniors and seniors. Woo, yeah, each uh, year cheering there. And uh, you sophomores, you juniors, you got it good because you're kind of in the middle there and you're like kind of cruising a little bit. Seniors, you're starting to freak out a little bit because you're getting to the end and you're about to change to like the real world. You freshmen, it's like this is brand new, kind of freaking out a little bit. And isn't it true that with every kind of new chapter of our lives, every time we, t- we p- go into a new step, a new journey in our lives, it kind of is a little bit scary, a little bit intimidating. I can remember growing up in England when I was 12 years old and starting middle school. And I was really nervous. I got there. It was an all-boys school that I went to. Uh, They called you by your last name. My last name's Jane. So in an all-boys school, there weren't many of us Janes, okay? So led to some complications there. Um, And at 12, just as I was kind of hitting my middle school years, I was discovering, you know what? I kind of like girls, but there's none around. I got no idea how to talk to them, no idea how to approach them. This was a really scary time in my life. I just couldn't figure this out. So imagine how excited I was when Nick Barber, my best friend, he came to school one day and he's like, guys, it's my birthday. It's my 13th birthday coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm allowed to invite seven or eight friends to my birthday party. And it's going to be a combined birthday party with my cousin. She's... 13 years old, and she's inviting seven or eight of her friends. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm just praying I'll make the list. And I did. Nick invited me. So we were going to be in a room, seven or eight guys and seven or eight girls. It's like, this is the most exciting event so far of my middle school life. So um, obviously we were preparing for the big day and uh, we figured it out because we knew girls, we knew romance, we knew how this all worked. So on Friday lunchtime, the party was Friday night, Friday lunchtime, we didn't go outside for, uh, uh, for our lunch break. We stayed in the locker room because Nick had managed to track down from his cousin the names of all the girls coming. 
So he, of course, wrote down the names of all the girls on pieces of paper, and we then drew names to figure out which girl would be our girl, because that's how it worked. So that's how we thought it worked. And I remember, true story, I remember picking Claire Sweeney. I'm like, Claire Sweeney, she sounds nice. I think, I think this is meant to be. The gods have shined down on me, and Claire and I, this is the beginning of something very special. So Friday night, we get to Nick's party. It was at his, his aunt's house, his cousin's house. We're just in this small front room. There's music playing on the record player, because that's all we had back then. It's all you guys want now. That's all we had back then was record players. So music's playing on the record player. All the boys are one side of the room. All the girls are the other. Every now and again, one of the boys would push one of the other boys in the middle, and we'd freak out because we got close to the girls, and we'd come back again. Um, but then, oh yes, that moment in the night where someone changed the LP, the record, and we put on something a little bit slow. Yeah, it's time to dance. And I knew. I mean, I was ready. I, I was dressed up. I had half of my dad's cologne all over my body. I mean, I was, I was just ready. Tonight was going to be the night I was going to talk to a girl, maybe even dance with a girl. And Claire Sweeney, when she walked in, I mean, you imagine the most amazing 80s girl you can, okay? Because I'm kind of dating myself a little bit here now, but massive hair, you know, big sweater she was wearing, but she was beautiful. And I'm like, she's going to be mine, Claire Sweeney. The music comes on, and as I go to make my move, Duncan Howes. Duncan, yes. Yeah, my, my heart still, br- I've been married 25 years, and there's still a little part of my heart that hurts when I think, as I remember how I felt watching Duncan Howes break rank and move towards Claire Sweeney and ask her to dance. I still had the piece of paper in my pocket. I was going, Duncan, Howes, hey, look, Claire Sweeney, Claire Sweeney, Claire. And Claire said yes. Claire obviously hadn't been uh, instructed on how this was all working, that I'd already picked her name, and it broke my heart. That was the beginning of my middle school years. And isn't it funny how every chapter of our lives, there's a new challenge we have to overcome, a new hurdle that we have to figure out about this uh, new time in our lives. And the crazy thing is, tonight we're going to talk about temptation. And I got to thinking about this, and even temptation changes with every chapter of our lives, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. When you're in grade school, probably the biggest temptation you faced was stealing that crayon from the kid next to you, and he hadn't finished with it. It's like, I'm going to steal it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I got it. He's not looking. I got that. I mean, that was the biggest. And then he felt so bad for stealing his crayon. And, and then he left grade school. He went to middle school. Now it was like maybe saying some words you knew your mom and dad said you weren't really allowed to say. Uh, maybe in middle school, you got your first phone and that just opened up a huge world of temptations. Maybe when you went to high school, temptations got a little bit more um, serious. You know, things like maybe alcohol, drugs, uh, relationships, inappropriate relationships, whatever they may have been. And if you're here this evening and you're a follower of Jesus, some of these things, they became temptations against what you believed, what you held to believe about your faith. And there were things that were testing you, were tempting you to step out of what you believed to be the right way to live your life. And now, here you are on a college campus. And lo and behold, not only are there new challenges in your college years, there are new temptations that you've never had to face before. I, I think this is one of the best times of your life. I love get, when I get a chance to speak to young adults, college students, because you're in such a cool time of your life. Because you haven't yet got to the point where you're, you're tied down with a family and a job, that kind of thing. So, but at the same time, you're no longer... A kid, you're, you're an adult. You know, you've kind of moved to this transitional time of your life. 
And you get to kind of figure out some things for yourself. Why do I believe what I believe? Do I believe this because I was raised in the house that I was raised in? Am I believing this because my parents raised me to believe this? Or do I believe this to be true? And you get to wrestle with some of that stuff. But then you start to question, well, do I think that's wrong because my parents told me it was wrong? Or do I think it's wrong because as a Jesus follower, I think it's wrong? And suddenly some of the temptations that you face, they come in a different way. Because now you're in a different chapter of life, a different stage in your journey. So the temptations, they kind of have a different effect on us. So in the short amount of time that I'm with you tonight, I want to maybe look at how we as college students can, can battle some of those temptations in this new stage of life that we're in. So we're actually going to look at the example of probably the greatest person to, to teach us on this subject. That's Jesus himself, because he was tempted by the devil. And we read about it in Luke chapter 4. It's going to be up on the screens. You can read there or if you've got a, a Bible with you or your Bible app. It's Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time, and he became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. So then the devil took him, to the, took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you'll just worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And then Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So just like many of you here tonight, Jesus was entering a new chapter of his life. If you're familiar with the, the trajectory of Jesus' life, we learn a lot about his birth in, in the manger in Bethlehem, and then we don't hear much until he's about 30 years old. And, and then we, we catch up with him now as an adult, entering into the, the, the purpose, the re reason he's come to earth, the beginning of his ministry. The very first thing we learn about is that Jesus gets baptized. And it's an incredible story. Luke talks about it. He says that Jesus went down into the river, and when he came back up, a dove, the Holy Spirit, descended upon him. A voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. I love that because Jesus hasn't done anything yet. And God said, you are my dearly loved son. I believe that he says that to all of us tonight. It's not because of anything you do or anything you achieve or how good you are or how well you behave. He loves you just for you. He thinks you are incredible. And before Jesus had done anything, God said, this is my son 
And in the very next chapter, when Jesus goes alone to pray and to prepare for this great ministry that he's been led to do, the very first thing the devil says is, if you are the Son of God. So God's told Jesus through the dove, through the voice, you are my son, I love you so much. And the first temptation, the devil's like, are you sure? Does he really love you? Are you really the Son of God? Because if you were, here are some of the things you could and you should do. In fact, the first thing he said, simple. Why not turn these rocks into loaves of bread? I can remember as a kid, there was a cartoon. I don't remember what cartoon it was, what cartoon character. I just have this vivid memory of this cartoon. And it was these two cartoon animals. I think they were stuck in a boat at sea. They'd been stranded for uh, weeks without food and water. And uh, they were starving. They were thirsty. And, and one cartoon character is talking to the other. But you see the, the other one looking at him. And as he's talking, his, he changes from being a human being to a hot dog. It's just this talking hot dog. <laughs> Because the guy in the boat is so hungry that instead of seeing his friend there opposite him in the boat, all he can see is a hot dog. And I think the reason the devil was tempting Jesus in this way is because he was so hungry. He'd been fasting and praying. And it said that the area of the wilderness where he was in, that there were stones that literally looked like loaves of bread. You imagine seeing one of those rocks when you are hungry. I mean, it's like it's almost a loaf of bread. The devil's like, it would be so easy. You could just, and we know he could, because there came a time soon after that where he was with 5,000 people, and he multiplied bread. So we know that Jesus could do it, but instead of giving in to that temptation, he chose to trust God. He said to the devil, he actually quoted the words of Moses in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, when Moses was speaking to the people of Israel, um, Moses said, people do not live by bread alone. That was the the way he combated the devil. Next, it says that the devil took him up to this high place and and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, I was uh, very fortunate earlier this year, back in May, uh, I got to join a group with uh, an organization called World Vision. And together, there were 12 of us. My son got to come with us um, and to bring awareness for poverty in the world and providing clean water in parts of the world where they don't have access to clean water. Uh, We actually got to do a, a hike to raise money, to raise awareness. And we hiked to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. It's the highest freestanding mountain in the world. It was the most incredible experience. And when we got to the top, 19,300 feet, I think I've got a picture of it if we've got that to, to put up on the screen. I mean, we are like above the clouds. And it was so high on that final day when we got to the summit, we could look out and you could literally see the, the curving of the earth. That's how high up we were. We could see Tanzania, we could see Kenya, we could see the clouds. And yet still, I couldn't see all of the world. So as Jesus was, was stood there, he, he couldn't see, he could only see the, the areas around him. But the devil's like, hey, all this and everything else, this could be yours. And again, Jesus uses scripture and comes back and he says, no. It says, um, what does he say back? I've got to refine the verse back and skip back here. He said, um, You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. That was his comeback. The crazy thing was, there was going to come a time in the future. He says, after his resurrection, Jesus says that um, everyone 
will bow down to me. All of this will be mine. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And the devil is offering him a shortcut. No cross needed. Just kneel to me and you could have this now. And he says, no, I'm not taking that shortcut. Finally, the devil takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem. He says, if you jump off here, God will save you. You won't harm your feet. Now, the crazy thing about this is I think the devil knew how much Jesus had a heart for Jerusalem. He knew how much of his journey up to this point had been around the city of Jerusalem. There would come a time where he would weep over the city of Jerusalem. He loved it so much. Do you know, isn't it funny how when it comes to temptation, the devil knows how to get to us. If I was sat here now and we were in a big spread of food and there was a massive bowl of Brussels sprouts in the middle of the table, I wouldn't be tempted to eat one of them. Not a single one. The temptation would not even cross my mind. But when I go back to England and I go into the supermarket and I get to the aisle where the candy bars are, because I don't know if you know this, but England has the best candy bars in the whole world. No bias there whatsoever. It's fact. Um, The temptation I fight, my wife's like pulling me because I want to buy one of every single one to bring back to America. I'm like, I'll make them last. She's like, there's no room in the suitcase. When it comes to temptation, we're all different. And sometimes what someone might have known, that to someone else it becomes a temptation. Jesus had such a heart for Jerusalem, but he knew that God's plan was that he would one day enter Jerusalem on a donkey, not on the wings of a fiery angel. So using scripture, Jesus was able to combat all of the temptations of the devil. And I hope you know this, but being tempted wasn't a sin. We know that Jesus lived a life without sin. So just because he was tempted, that in and of itself wasn't a sin. It's when we give in to those temptations that it becomes a sin. Jesus didn't give in to those temptations. So how do we, as college students here in Bloomington Normal on the ISU campus, how do we respond the way Jesus did when temptations come our way? And like, maybe none of you have been tempted to go to the highest point on the campus and jump hoping that God's angels will protect you. But there could be other temptations that you face. There's a a course from England, it's called Alpha, and um, it's great. It's this um, 10-week video curriculum that helps you really understand why we believe what we believe as Christians. And, and one of the weeks is all about evil and temptation and how to resist temptation. And, and throughout the video, they'll, they'll have interviews with people, but they'll do man-on-the-street interviews. And I want to show a short clip here of uh, uh, the episode where they talk about temptation. Check this out. So as I said, and some of those folks, maybe you relate to some of the things that they talked about in that video. And maybe some of you are like, I've never even thought of that as a temptation. You might be in a committed relationship here tonight, and there's not even the least bit of temptation to be with anyone else. 
but you're constantly being tempted to shop more and spend more than you can afford. Someone else here may have no issues with spending that much, but you're always battling that temptation to cut corners on your schoolwork, look for ways to to cheat or to get around something. So what are some, some practical tips that we can follow when temptation comes our way in this new chapter, this, this new stage of our lives as college students? Well, first, I think we have to understand, and I think this is really important for us to understand when it, when it comes to facing temptations, things like that, that God gave us appetites. That God gave us appetites. What we need to do is learn to manage those appetites. Many of the things we're tempted with come from a natural appetite that God gave us. We have an appetite for food, for companionship, an appetite to achieve and succeed, to create and to build. But if we don't learn to manage our appetites for companionship and sex, we pursue it at all costs and it can become destructive. If we don't learn to how to manage our appetite for money and stuff, when we push ourselves, we exhaust ourselves, we, we look for more stuff at any cost and it becomes destructive. So we have to learn how to identify the appetites and then how to manage those appetites. One of the craziest stories, I think, in the Bible that illustrates somebody who didn't learn how to manage his appetites, who gave in to the craziest of temptations, can be found all the way back in the Old Testament, the very beginning of the Bible. It's a story of two brothers called Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. When you read about Jacob and Esau, they're two very different people. We learn that Jacob, he was a mama's boy. This verse, it says he was quiet, he loved to stay at home. Esau, his brother, on the other hand, he was an outdoorsman. He loved to hunt. Scripture tells us that Isaac, his dad, loved him, that he loved eating the wild game that he brought home. So clearly, there's some dysfunction in this family. You've got two brothers, one who's mum's favorite, one who's dad's favorite, one who's real kind of outdoors, manly kind of guy, the other who's kind of more indoor, introverted, quiet. And this crazy story happens one day. We learn that Jacob... He's at home, as he normally was, cooking some stew. He was probably wearing his apron, listening to some Taylor Swift, watching the Great British Bake Off on, on Netflix. I mean, he's just kind of enjoying his alone time. He's, he's kind of enjoying cooking some stew. And Esau, his brother, true story, Esau comes home from a long day of hunting. He pulls up outside in his Ford F-350. He's got Metallica blaring on the stereo. He gets out of the truck. He's got snakeskin boots on. He is planning on coming. He's going to watch a little UFC on the TV, but he is hungry. In fact, he's not. He's hangry. I mean, he is starving. And as he walks into the house, he can smell the stew that his brother Esau is cooking. And instantly, his appetite comes to life. He realizes just how hungry he is. And listen to this verse. This is the craziest verse you'll ever come across. Esau said to Jacob, I am starved. Now, was he really starved or was he just really hungry? I'm starved. Give me some of that stew. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Give up your rights as the firstborn son and you'll get a nice hot bowl of stew. <laughs> now, you may not understand how rights as a firstborn son, but this is a terrible deal, okay? This is you walking back to your dorm tonight, and you walk past a friend's, and he's just made a hot pocket, and it smells good. And you go in, and you're like, hey, dude, 
can I have that Hot Pocket? Come on, please. And your friend's like, sure. Give me the keys and the title to your car. And you're like, ah, that doesn't sound very fair, but I'm really hungry. <laughs> That's the kind of craziness of this story. I come from a country where uh, we had a queen who sadly passed away last year, and now we have a king. His name's King Charles. And the reason he's the king of England is because it is his birthright. He was the, the oldest son, the oldest child. His oldest son, William will be the next king. Harry will not. Not because he married Meghan. Some people think that's why. No, because he's younger. He's younger than William. And the idea that William or Charles would give away that for something like a bowl of stew is ridiculous. But in that moment, Esau's appetite was so strong and the smell of that food, it was so tempting that all he could focus on was the here and now. All he could focus on was filling his appetite for what he wanted. And I wish we could go back in time. And I wish we could pull Esau out of that moment just for a second and say, Esau, I know right now everything is focused in on this one temptation. This is all you see right now. And this stew, it smells so good. And this natural appetite you have to, to fill your belly. You know, it makes sense to give up this birthright. But Esau, Esau, in thousands of years' time, there's going to be a group of students sat on a college campus. We're going to be talking about this book called the Bible. And the Bible is a collection of writings that describes God's son, Jesus, and how he came to be, and the history of Israel, and everything that took place through the history of Israel that led to the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, how he died and rose again, how the church was formed, and all this went on. And throughout the Bible, we're going to talk about where it all began. The journey of Israel, it all began, and it began. And in the Bible, it says it began with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac. Do you know what it should say? It should say Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But in this moment, for a bowl of stew, you're going to give all of that up. And I think that's the power of temptation. Our appetites blind us to the long-term effects. Our appetites blind us to, to what's going to happen. In the moment, it just seems so right just to do this. But we don't get the opportunity, like an Esau, to step back and look at history and think, wow, I'm changing the course of history for myself. For centuries to come, they will talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because I chose a bowl of stew. So I want to give you two real simple um, uh, clues here, two real simple ideas that I think will help you when you're in that moment when the stew smells so good. The temptation seems so strong. How can I, how can I battle this? I think the, there's, there's two of them. I'll give you them both, and then I'll talk a little bit about them. The two of them are to stay in community and to stay on mission. To stay in community and stay on mission. This is really oversimplifying, but I actually think if you, if you try and, and, and use both these things, it'll really help you in the area of temptation. Because did you notice when it was that Jesus was tempted? He was alone in the wilderness. Now, don't get me wrong. It, he was alone on purpose. He went to be, he, he was about to enter the most important time of his life, and he wanted to get alone with God to pray, to fast. But one of the drawbacks of being alone like that is, is solitude. 
as we look through the Bible at times of isolation, we discover there's a connection between temptation and isolation. David was alone in his palace when his eyes fell upon Bathsheba. First Peter describes Satan as a predator. And if you watch nature shows, you'll know it's the isolated animal that often becomes the prey to the, the lion. 1 Peter 5 eight. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And like a lion, he doesn't go for the pack. He goes for that single animal that's strayed away and is in isolation. Tonight, this is a fantastic place to be. I know you sometimes meet outside of this gathering in small groups. Again, great places to be. There's going to be temptations over the next few years to kind of isolate yourself, to withdraw from the group, to maybe not spend as much time around the people who, who think the same way as you do when it comes to what they believe about Jesus. And as you stray from the group, as you move away from, from community, I think you become an easier target for that, that lion who's looking for someone to devour. So stay in community. It doesn't guarantee that you won't face temptation, but man, it's a lot more strength in numbers when you gather in your small group and you're honest and open with one another and when you when you start to share prayer requests you say hey would you pray for me because this is a struggle in my life right now and suddenly you've got others who come around and link arms with you and say i'm going to pray with you i'm going to i'm going to check in with you tomorrow i'm going to text you i'm going to say hey how's it going because when we're in community we're stronger and do you know where else we're we're stronger when we're on mission I think one of the things that helped Jesus when he was tempted was that he knew his mission and he didn't want to allow anything to distract him from that. Have you ever been to a place where you've, your car's broken down and you've got to push it somewhere and it's completely dead, you put it in neutral and, and it's hard work, but it is possible when that car's stationary to move it. But have you ever seen those videos like TikTok, YouTube, and it's, it's like a security camera, and it's someone who's got out of their car, and they're going to open the gate or something, and they don't realize that the car is still in gear. And as they're walking towards the gate, the car's like moving, and then there's that moment where they turn around, and they realize, and they run back, and they try to stop the car as it's moving, or they get behind it, and they grab the, the bumper thinking, okay, maybe I'll be able to stop this. You know, car wins every time. <laughs> Big car moving, little person, stop. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's a lot hard to stop something like that when it's moving than it is to move it when it's stationary. When you're on mission, it's a lot harder for the devil to come along and tempt you because you're going. You're on a mission. I don't want to do that. I've got a purpose here. I'm here on my campus and, and yeah, I'm studying and I've got a degree I'm looking to pursue, but I'm also a part of something bigger here. I'm a part of the kingdom of God that existed before I came to ISU and will continue to exist after I could leave ISU. And I'm part of that mission to see that kingdom grow. Right now, I'm part of the mission to see it grow right here on my college campus. I'm going to learn some things about God this year that I've never learned before. I'm going to see him use me this year to impact my neighbors, my friends, my fellow students in ways he's never used me before because I'm on the move. And when you're on mission, when you're on the move, it's harder to give in to temptation. Let me close with this last thought tonight. We're going to jump back to the story of Jesus being tempted. Now, my guess is that many of you here tonight have heard that story before of Jesus being tempted by the devil. 
And if you have, like me, you'll know that the way he was able to overcome the temptation was to quote scripture every time. And you may have even heard it taught in church before, that that's the, so the key to success when it comes to facing temptations, to know the Bible, to know scripture so that you can, and that's absolutely true. But I think in this situation, it wasn't just the fact that Jesus quoted scripture, it was the context of the specific scripture that he was quoting. And I think this is really important because if you understand this night, you'll see how much this will help you. This becomes not just a story about Jesus in the Bible. This becomes something real that can help me in my life. Because you see, each verse that Jesus spoke back to the devil, each verse spoken was written to man. It was from Deuteronomy. It was God's law written to the Israelites, to people, to human beings. Um, human beings. Jesus was fully God. But you know what? He was also fully man. So here he is in the wilderness. He's completely God, but he's also completely man. And the devil is tempting him in every one of those temptations to use his Godhead. He's saying, you can turn rocks into bread. All of this can be yours. You can jump from here and the angels will protect you because you are God. And Jesus knew this to be true. But he also knew that at this point, he was a man. And he was a man on a mission. So every time he responded to Satan, he says, man cannot live on bread alone. The verses he quoted from Deuteronomy, they were verses spoken by God to human beings. Jesus said, I won't give in to your temptation to shortcut that mission. I will choose to remain fully human because I'm a man on a mission. A man who will one day be killed. And at any point, as God, I could put a stop to all of that. But in doing that, it would stop the real reason I'm here. So I need to be fully human, fully man to complete this mission. So understanding this, that Jesus, when tempted to use his godliness, chose to remain man. Listen to this verse in Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Just like you and me, Jesus as a human being, faced temptation. And Jesus, as a human being, not the Son of God, Jesus as a human being, found ways to resist that temptation. For us, it may be community. For us, it may be being on mission. But whatever you're facing with, whatever struggles, whatever temptations, whatever battles, Jesus is on your side. He wants to help you. The community can help you. The mission can help you. But ultimately, Jesus, the man who knows what it is you're feeling, who knows what it is you're struggling with, because he was a man who was tempted by his own things. And he knew what it was like to face those temptations, but he still didn't give in. And he wants to help you in these areas too. So let's pray. Father, I just pray for every single one of these fantastic young adults in this room tonight, Lord, who are in this new chapter of their lives. 
They're no longer in grade school or middle school or high school. They now find themselves on a college campus, which means that they're no longer um, living in the home they grew up in. Maybe some of them grew up in a very strong Christian home, and for the first time, they're now having to figure out, what is it I believe now that I'm on my own on this college campus? And I believe, Lord, as is the case, even in this situation with Jesus, when we enter these new chapters of life, the devil hits us with new temptations. So I pray for everyone in this room, if they're battling new struggles, new temptations, that they would be able to stand against the devil. They would realize that some of these appetites, God, they are God-given, but they're not to be shortcuts or not to be, but to be managed, to control, to say, God, I want to use this for you in its time. So help us all, I pray. I pray for us all as a community that we'd stand strong together and as, that we're, and that we're, as we are on mission, as we move forward, it'll help us to resist these temptations. In Jesus' name, amen.